Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Kaput. Written by Duncan Muggleton. Narrated by Josh Curran. I got the call around five. A case, finally. The voice on the other end was hushed and muffled in such a way that I deduced they had cupped their hand over the receiver. You understand, mister? Detective, I blurted out. It's a... Detective. Right. As I was saying, Detective, this is very sensitive for us. Can we trust your discretion? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Because, I mean, well, it's weird. Oh, I get that. Like, really fucking weird. Hey, well, uh, you called the expert in that very field. What can you tell me over the phone? I run Happy Town. You know, the theme park upstate. Know it well, know it well. I pause for a second. Wait, shit, the body's on Thunder Mountain. Yes, that. 
Okay, wow. This is a big one then. Detective, are you sure you can handle this case? 100% madam, I am your guy. I drove the three hours on the turnpike, gunning the van maybe a little too much at times from the excitement. The drive was dull, but I occupied my time by listening to all of the news stories relating to Happy Town on my phone. Thunder Mountain is the theme park's biggest attraction, a 100 mile per hour roller coaster thrill ride through the interior of a man-made mountain in total darkness. I don't do coasters myself, motion sickness. Anyway, two weeks ago, during a normal day at the park, one of the cars did its usual circuit of the ride and returned its 16 passengers. Moments before they were about to release the second set of passengers, seated in the next car, one of the crew slammed down the emergency shutdown switch and brought it to a screeching halt. Confused complaints gave way to sudden shock as it was clear the passengers in the returning car were dead. All 16 of them. Kaput. The weird thing, there were no signs of physical trauma on any of the bodies. Not a scratch on them. Even their clothes were untouched. The cars were checked and were in perfect mechanical condition. The only thing out of the ordinary apart from the fact they were dead, was the number 523 written on their foreheads in thick black ink. How did it got there? No one could even begin to hazard a guess. The ride was emptied and the park was cleared of guests. The police investigation concluded, for the time being at least, that there was no foul play, and it is possible that there was a malfunction of some kind to explain the deaths. One investigator posited a mass hallucination type scenario, which resulted in the number. But no pens or markers were recovered from the scene or the bodies. In any case, it is so far unresolved. The press was given a suitable story to tide them over whilst the police continued their investigation. But the manager knew something strange was going on and didn't trust their findings so far. She hired me, in the hopes that I can find a break in the case and absolve the park of any responsibility whatsoever before the police started pointing fingers, before the families of the victims start pointing lawsuits, before the park goes out of business forever. I pulled into an oversized but empty car park, wincing in the midday scorching sun. I met the manager, we shared a firm handshake, and she showed me to Thunder Mountain after a short golf buggy ride. We passed under the crime scene tape like they do on CSI. It was exhilarating. I'd never actually been on an active crime scene before. Hopefully this wouldn't be my last. We were in luck, since the police family picnic was that day, meaning for a few hours there was no police presence in the park at all. God bless our boys in blue and their dedication to the job. The manager and I entered the control room to Thunder Mountain. On one wall was a glass partition looking out over the car platform with a control desk parked beneath it. And on the other, there were a dozen monitors lined up in a rough grid. I didn't want to state the obvious, but said, 
Did you review the footage from these cameras? The manager scowled. See for yourself, she said. The tone in her voice suggested she wasn't keen on my methods thus far. She flicked a power switch, and the control panel and monitors blinked into life. One of the monitors, however, remained dark. We both knew where this was going, but she pressed the play button anyway. The coaster zoomed away and across one monitor, and the second, and the third. There was no sound, but the passengers were grinning and waving their arms with excitement. The next four cameras were infrared, and the passengers turned into ghostly versions of themselves, but remained nonetheless excited, just in more of a ghoulish way. Camera four, five, six. Let me guess, I said to the manager, pointing confidently to the single monitor with no image, number eight. She nodded slowly, and we watched the coaster whoosh past camera seven, drew the blank image on camera eight, and then, of course, when they appeared on nine, they were all dead, with a strange number emblazoned on each of their heads. Gone were the joyous faces, and gone were their very souls, it seemed. The bodies were with the police now, but the image on these screens was enough for me. I dry-heaved violently, but managed to keep it together. You okay? The manager said with just about enough pity. <laughs> Absolutely. I coughed. <coughs> Fantas fantastic. So, uh, can we get up to that section of the track? You can, detective. That's what I'm paying you for. Service car doesn't work, though. You'll have to walk it. And the service lights are dimmer than our president's, so... Here. She tossed me a flashlight. I looked at it, afraid of what comes next. You're not coming too? <laughs> Fuck no. That thing's haunted. You didn't just see that shit? What if I get lost? I'll give you a hint. Follow the track. I stared at her blankly. Count the cameras, she continued. You reach number eight? Hey, presto. She sat down in the control room chair, slurping a giant soda I didn't notice she had. Right, I said. Right. I started walking towards the track. Walking is a strong word. I edged. Right, I said again. I reached the track and placed a tentative foot on the metal. It was the lightest of steps, but the metallic clang reverberated throughout the mountain and echoed in terrifying ways in the otherwise deserted fun ride. I placed my other foot next to it and looked up and down the track. There was light on the platform, but on either end was a sharp turn into a death-black shadow that engulfed the track. I swallowed deeply and began walking, placing foot after foot on the middle rungs of the track. The only sound was my hesitant footsteps. All the while, a million different theories were running through my head to explain the mysterious deaths of those passengers and the mark they had been given. I approached the first corner, where camera two was located, and stopped. Beyond that point was nothing but black. The track faded into the shadow, and I could see no further than that except the dullest inkling of a service light at the next turn, 
20 or so meters away. A wind was blowing against the side of the mountain, rattling the paneling and shaking my bones with a booming crescendo that died down as quickly as it had begun. I started to move again, flicking on the flashlight the manager had handed to me. I wasn't sure if it made things better or worse, since it caused towering and pointy shadows to flicker and twist around me nightmarishly. I just carried on walking, counting the cameras as I went. The draw of the roller coaster was mainly the speed and the exhilaration of being in complete darkness, so thankfully there were no loops or twists in the track. And I passed cameras three, four, and five in no time. After an uphill struggle on one section, I crested the hill and took a quick break. A crackling voice crept through the ether and bounced from the jagged walls, and I turned every which way to find its source. It said, fizzing in and out of audible range. I waved the flashlight around maniacally, whimpering like a frightened child. The voice started again. Nearly there, detective, it said, clearer this time. Sorry, the speakers are playing up. Next two corners? Recognizing the manager's voice and breathing an extended sigh of relief, I resumed my trek through the mountain. I rounded one corner, passing camera six. Camera seven was just before the next corner, and after that was the blind spot where camera eight should have been capturing. Just as I was about to step around the turn, there was a rumbling sound. The track shook from the force of something big. Very big. I quietly shat my pants and thought about my options. I had got no further than option one. Run for it. Before whatever it was came flying around the previous turn. The sound was deafening, and I held my hands to my ears. I had no time to move out of the way before I was hit square on the legs. It is possible I performed a front flip and was then caught by something soft. A seat? Shitting hell. I was in the goddamn roller coaster car. Mother and Mary, sweet heaven, fuck! I screamed, trapped upside down in the seat. I felt the car turn, clattering through the area where camera 8 was, and then... Quiet. Everything stopped. The noise and motion of the car ceased, and there was an almost weightless quality to everything. I struggled to get my body the right way around, and when I finally did, I peered over the side of the car. Oh, I whispered. Before me was a giant red wall with an odd, shiny quality. It stretched as far as I could see in all directions. There was something weird about it. Hmm, that's the same color as... The track. It was the track, and it was the size of a... Well, I don't know how big it was, since I couldn't see the edges. A thought occurred to me, but I try not to think it. Funny thing about thoughts you don't want to think is you can think of no other thoughts but the thoughts you don't want to think. The track hadn't ballooned in size. The coaster car and I had shrunk. We were the size of a speck of dust 
or maybe only that of a few molecules. Sounds took on a terrifying deepness, as though I shouldn't be able to hear them at all. In the next instance, something opened in front of the car, which was still traveling at speed, I realized. It was a circular window, through which I could see nothing on the other side. The edges looked sharp, yet indistinct, and I hurtled towards it. Before I knew it, I was through the window and on the other side, coming to an abrupt halt. All I could see was white, until everything began to fall inwards and return to a normal size. Except it was me that was returning to normal size. Suddenly, I met the gaze of lab coat garbed mystery men. They stood around me, still seated in the car, and looked unsurprised and emotionless about my appearance. Experiment number 524, ready? One of them said, writing something on my forehead roughly. Oh, I replied. Hit it, said a second. A third stranger pressed a button, and all at once the room flickered out of view. The moon. I think I was on the moon. The earth was no bigger than a penny in front of me. I couldn't breathe. But a second later, I didn't need to worry about that, because before I could, I was upside down, still in the car as it pulled into the station at the Thunder Mountain entrance. Looking up to the control room, I saw the manager slumped over the controls. On the window in front of her was a splattered mist of red. Blood, I think. Behind her was a man wearing white gloves, unscrewing a silencer from the end of a pistol. There were three people stood next to me, two in black suits and one in a lab coat. Well, Doctor, said one of the suits, 524 looks pretty successful. Yes, said the lab coat. Transporting to or from a vacuum, it seems, is the key. I'm getting to the lab via wormhole. Quite clever. It's just a shame we can only make the wormhole the size of a few molecules. But your shrinking tech took care of that. Quite. Shame we had to rely on a roller coaster to provide the exact velocity and angular momentum for the process to work. Mm, you know how it is. Budget cuts. Mm. Mm. Uh. I said feebly. The other suit looked at me. Oh, um, hello. He said the last part loud, like a tourist speaking to a local. Congratulations! You're our first successful teleporter! Ah, I said. I imagine that was quite a shock for you. I wasn't really listening now, since my head was reeling. I certainly never would have guessed that the previous passengers had been through all of that. I mean, who on earth would have? So much technology being kept a secret. This was an intriguing conspiracy, alright? I wondered how far up it went. Who had access to all of this cool stuff? I would get some answers. But, I said, government? He pulled a gun on me. Not even close, he said, squeezing the trigger. Not bad for a first case, I guess.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Kaput was written by Duncan Muggleton, narrated by Josh Curran, edited by Carl Hughes and music by Kevin McLeod and Sam Robson. We have been nominated for the Best Fiction Podcast over at ThisIsHorror.co.uk. We were nominated last year, but we came in second place, and this year we want to take home the gold. If you'd like to help us, go over to www.thisishorror.co.uk forward slash awards and follow the instructions there. Any help is greatly appreciated, and together we know we can do it. Until next time. 